Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Well, I want to welcome each and every one of you back to this series we're in called Unshakable, where we're talking about the kingdom of God. I want to look in the camera there. Welcome our McKinney campus, our Hazlitt campus, all of you joining us online. I want to welcome all of those in our additional seating here at our Keller campus as well. Maybe someone watching in a video venue. Would you put your hands together? Welcome everybody that's joining in with us. I'm going to ask you if you have your Bibles to turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 14. This week, we are going to, in this series, have an equipping moment. You know, sometimes you have a moment where it's just we're encouraging ourselves with the truth and we're looking at the application, but sometimes we need a little bit of a checkup. We need a little bit of equipping of how to face the world around us. If you're new with us and you're just joining in, we're talking about the kingdom of God. It's the theme of the New Testament. It's, it's really the theme of the Bible because the Old Testament is the types and shadows that point to this moment in Jesus. Jesus is the pinnacle, just the amazing place where we now have a relationship with God through his death, burial, and resurrection. And then as we look at the New Testament, it's the working out of the kingdom that he came to establish. It's an available kingdom. It's a realm of authority that supersedes every natural kingdom, every tribe, every group, every thing we wanna identify ourselves with. The Bible keeps exhorting us to come up just a little bit higher, come up to a different place where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is ruling and reigning and wants to establish his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We have a special weekend though, and I wanna recognize some people at all of our campuses that we celebrate here at Milestone, we're very excited about. I'm gonna just, just at every single campus, we have a group of young people, and I'm gonna ask you guys to stand. I want us to recognize them. Come on, let's tell them how much we love them. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Every single campus, we've got a group of students that are gathered together. I want you guys to remain standing and uh, I wanna have a prayer moment for all of the students at every campus as well as all of these students. They've been away at a retreat and it, it, I just wanna say thank you to you as a church because we see the challenges that these young people face in a world today that's hostile and caustic toward the values of the principles of God for them. And so we take them away. Not only this retreat, we do a couple of things as well as a camp. And uh, we just think it's powerful to take them away and, and, and probably take away the hardest thing they could ever have taken away. We take their phone away. Come on, all of you get right now. I see, I see kids out there just like somebody without caffeine, you know, and, and just, just take it away and take them into a place. And I want to say thank you to our, our, our leaders, our student team, all the volunteers. It takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort and resources to invest in them. But I want to pray over them. And I want you guys to know that we believe in you 
that we believe that you can live out the principles that are outlined in the Bible that are for you really. Right now, I want to encourage you with something. It's, it's not one day. You're making choices and decisions today that'll affect your future family, your future children, and your children's children in the area of sexuality. And I just wanna encourage you, God's not trying to withhold from you, he's trying to give you his best. He had you in mind when he laid out the principles of scripture. And we stand with your parents, your grandparents, your family, and you to say we believe you can do it, not on your own but you can do it with Jesus. You can do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you join me in praying for these young people? Lord, we thank you today for every one of these young people. We thank you, Lord. Thank you that your power, that your power is available, Lord, today for them, for every trial, for every circumstance, for every temptation, for every pressure, for everything that they're gonna face, Lord. We thank you today that you've given them everything that pertains to life and godliness, Lord. There's no weapon formed against them that can prosper. Lord Jesus, we ask you that you would just touch them in such a strong way that, Lord, you would empower them not just with rules but with your very grace to live out the things you've called them to live out. And, Lord, we gather together as a church, every campus, every online person, every parent, Lord. When we pray together in unity, Lord, we know you're there and we know you're in our midst, and Lord, we know that this grace can be carried on into the everyday parts of their lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. Come on, let's give them another round of applause, all of our campuses. Well, our theme verse for Unshakable, if you're new, is a verse out of Hebrews that gives us a lot of encouragement because I say this big word, the kingdom of God, it's, it's God's realm of authority and we, we look for kingdoms and kings and tribes and ways to identify ourselves. yet again, scripture keeps saying there is this kingdom, this kingdom of God that Jesus Christ sits on his throne and it's not just some imaginative thing that we can look to, but it's a, it's a reality and it's real. And Hebrews 12, 28 says, therefore, since we're receiving this kingdom that cannot be shaken, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful. Let us so worship God. By the way, worship God is not when we sing the few songs in church. Worship God is, it literally means your whole life. It means service. It means every area of my life. It's like, Lord, I wanna, I wanna give you my marriage. I wanna give you my, my relationships. I wanna give you my work life. I wanna connect the dots between you being God, not just at the church house, but in my house. And in every place I go, I wanna so go all in with God because I'm a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken and we worship him acceptably with reverence and awe and we're still amazed by his goodness and his greatness. And so over the last few weeks, we've been outlining this kingdom. You can go back if you haven't seen the messages and catch up. But most of the time, the last few weeks, we've been trying to really anchor you to the reality of the fact that you can go into this kingdom and participate when your world is shaking. And boy, that's a great encouragement because we all face things in life and it's like, man, my house is shaking, my life is shaking, my health is shaking, my kids are shaking, my job is shaking. And that's a great encouragement that we can go to God and we can say, I, I know you're not shaking when I'm really shaking. 
But I wanna, I wanna take just a moment in this series for something, and I hope you'll receive this, that, that me, me praying for you and thinking about you as a pastor. And, and just, just even watching over the last few years, not just that our world is shaking, but how do we as followers of Christ, how do we approach a world that starts shaking? Not just my world is shaking, but I believe that our world begins to shake and you begin to see things and you begin to hear things and we have access to so much information and I've heard so many people just discouraged and depressed and, and I've even heard older people say, well, I don't know if I would wanna be raising kids in today's world with all of the shaking and all of the things that are out there and the available darkness that is present. And, and, and I sense a lot of times that, that there are a lot of people that are followers of Christ that have joined into this heavenly kingdom that, that don't know how to approach it. They, they don't know how to see it. They don't know what to do. If you're a young parent in here, this message is, is me praying for you on like, like what do you prioritize? Like how do, how do you make sure you see it from God's vantage point? So I, I want us to go to this book of Romans 14, chapter 14. In it, by the way, is one of the anchor passages when you think about the kingdom. People who've had some experience with the Bible, man, if you start thinking kingdom, you're gonna think about this verse that Paul gives, you know? It's one of those that are kind of one you grab, you know? And, and so there's an anchor verse here, but before I read it to you in Romans 14, 17, I want to take a moment to show you the context of this passage. The Apostle Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He, he is traveling, he's planting churches, and, and, he, and he loves these people in Rome. And, and Rome is a, is a real center. It's a, it's a, it, there's, a, there's major influence, and, and, and he keeps wanting to go there, but he's hindered from going there. And so he writes this letter that we're about to read from. It's one of his most exhaustive letters. He, he goes into detail because he doesn't know if he'll get to see them, so he, he's kind of like, writing everything that he wants to write to try to help them. And, and, and the context, though, is so important. I, I really want you to catch this right here. Let's, let's look at where Rome was before we read the passage, because when you read the Bible in context, it comes alive. And one other thing you learn when you read the Bible is you learn that it's timeless. So it's easy for us in our little moment in history on this, 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 this speck of dust that's floating around the, the world and the universe to begin to think, oh, I'm the only one who's ever faced this. We're the only people who have ever dealt with this. We're the only ones who have ever, and the Bible comes alive when you realize it's eternal and it's timeless. Let's look at Rome. Rome was, at this time of writing this letter, it was a military superpower. They had conquered most of the known land. I mean, they were, they were sitting at the top place and there was major affluence for that time period. There were major resources in affluence. But a lot of times when you get to the top seat of your kingdom and then you also have affluence, a danger is that 
then you slide into a lot of immoral things. So there was sexual immorality, there was debauchery, there was all kinds of things that were outside of God's plan. And, and, and by the way, if you think that the Bible is light on those things, if you think the Bible's confused on those things, man, I mean, it, the Bible, back in chapter 13, before you get to 14, at the end of 13, Paul's real clear, don't fulfill the desires of the flesh, and he outlines immorality, sexual immorality, there's a box, a man and woman in holy matrimony, and that's the defined box that God gives, and anything outside of that is immorality, and so Paul just goes there. He goes there in 1 Corinthians. He goes there in Romans. He just says, look, this is not God's desire. This is not God's plan, but there's also expected political saviors. See, at this moment, Caesar now has, has this place of power, and they're believing that Caesar, and they, they actually begin to ascribe to him worship. They begin to believe that he will save everything for them, and so they exalt Caesar, and there's also, with that, also corruption and, and celebrated, by the way. When Brutus stabs Caesar, that's where we get the phrase, stabbing in the back. And the whole culture at that time says that, well, whatever is done, if it meets my needs and it doesn't matter if it's right or wrong, like there's actually a celebration of the corruption and believing that the end justifies the means. I said the Bible's timeless. I said the Bible speaks to all of us, to all of our cultures. But here's the bigger thing. How did people at that time respond? How did they respond in Jesus' day? How were they responding in that first century? Well, they did what humans do. We began to segment ourselves into tribes that fit our personal things that we want to identify with. And here's the danger. When you identify too much with a tribe, then you minimize the ultimate kingdom. And so there were Essenes. The Essenes were the preppers of the day. They were hidden out. They withdrew. They pulled back. They said, let's go somewhere and separate ourselves. Let's go pull ourselves away from everything. Let's get our own little place of safety and we can just have our own rules and, all, and we'll just live in this place withdrawn from everything else. The religious leaders, they were continuing to preach just rules. They were just preaching the rules. You know how to really be frustrated? Just give someone rules and expect them to choose what's right without a change from the heart. The Bible has rules. The Bible doesn't minimize some of the rules. When God said, do not steal, he meant do not steal. And it doesn't matter what someone posts on Instagram, young people. When the Bible gives imperative commands, even if someone says, in today's day, it's okay to steal because I have a new idea about stealing. It's still do not steal. Why? Because God loves us. You know? It's like there's a sign there that says, don't turn this way. We can just be like, well, I'm going to turn that way if I want to. I mean, I, I mean, this is a different day. Won't in the ditch. God says, do not steal. Let's just think about it. Well, it'd be great if stealing was okay for you when you're stealing, but it's not so fun when somebody steals from you. Oh, wow, wow, that kind of packs me. So maybe God's real smart that way. Maybe we shouldn't steal. So the rules are there, but the difference in the message of Jesus wasn't, let's just hyper-focus on just the rules. I'm gonna give a way for your heart to be transformed so that actually the truths and the principles begin to be written on the tablets of your heart. 
and you know the why behind the what and the good God who loves you. But religious people just keep doubling down on the rules. The zealots became combative. They became caustic. They became the group of people that we will attack the culture. We will combat these things in such a strong way. And the cultural hedonist, which by the way in our day is where many people end up, it's just like, you know what, it's just the world we live in. There are no moral absolutes and many people just say, I'm just gonna join them. I'm just gonna join in with it. All of those groups, you say, why is it important? I realize there's personalities, there's just some innate things about how we're wired. You know, Some people are fighters and some people are fleers and some people just follow the crowd and other people start a crowd. You know, and, and, and everyone just is kind of born with different personalities. Speaking of our battle of the sexes weekend, I'll tell on my kids, my wife and I take our kids away at an appropriate time to have the, the talk with them. And, and I encourage you parents, you wanna be the one who talks to them about this. We're partnering with you. And uh, I got off easy because there were three girls and one boy. Mom had the heavy lifting. And so uh, the girls, one, one girl goes first, you know, and Brandy came back. And she's like, oh man, that was so. By the way, there's a tool called Passport to Purity, parents. It's a great tool, creates a weekend. You go away, it's an opportunity to talk. And uh, Brandy came back and, and I said, well, how'd it go? Well, when, when I talked to her, she said, I can never not know this again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, here's how mine went. I said, here's how it all works, buddy. He said, I knew it. I knew it. Every time y'all shut that door. <laughs> We've all got some innate ways of seeing it, but the danger is when we overly identify with our tribe, we live in such a tribal world, find so much identity in our expression or small piece of the puzzle, and what happens when we as believers over-identify with a tribe over the kingdom, we minimize our impact for Jesus. It's not about where Rome was, it's about where we are. It's about where you are. And how are you navigating a challenging world? How do you navigate? What do you focus on? We're gonna read that in the passage. Your friends and family. How do you counsel your friends? How do you counsel your family? Parents, how do you train young people to face a more challenging world? How do, what, do you, what do you say? What do you do? Well, we, we go to the word. We, we go to the Bible because the Bible equips us and prepares us. And, and really, I kind of see chapter 14 of Romans as like a checkup. It's kind of a checkup. You know, not a lot of times in the Bible do you have a ways to really kind of identify. There's so much heart stuff. But Paul here goes, hey, these are the characteristics you should be exhibiting in combination if you're focused on the kingdom. I had a checkup several months ago, a close to 50 checkup. By the way, when you get close to 50, they do bad stuff to you. <laughs> and there was this little lady, she said she wanted me to do a stretching exercise. They had this ruler out there and I sat down. Of course, my personality, I see the ruler, I'm starting to reach, trying to see how far I can get on the ruler. And, and I got kind of going, you know, and she looks over and she goes, okay, you can start now. <laughs> I'm like, start now? I've been stretching on this, trying to get some, and, and let's just say I failed. And you're wondering, well, how you doing now? Bad, still bad. <laughs> Still just like a, a, just a human concrete. That's what I am right now, still, okay? But, but none of us really like to get a checkup. 
But it is good for the Bible to give us a checkup. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. You're like, what's the Bible talking about? Romans 14 is about food. It's about holidays, religious observances, eating and drinking. You're like, what do you mean, Jeff? Well, you've got these Jewish people who have now come to this faith in Christ, and now you've got the church. This is a gathering of believers, and they have now, they're, they're trying to sort out, like, do we bring the kosher food? Do we, do we how, what are you eating, and what observances? And, and the things from the ceremonial law, the moral law still carries through. Jesus comes to fulfill it, but what about these ceremonial? things and what about food or meat that's been offered to idols and these people eat vegetables and these people eat meat and, and, and can you believe it? The whole kingdom of God being hindered over food, over food, over something. And, and by the way, that was big in the New Testament, over food. So Paul here, and, and this is, I kind of relate with Paul. I did my quiet time yesterday in 1 Corinthians and I, I just realized how much a pastor, if you really want people to really move forward in the kingdom, how much work and energy it takes to keep people from getting so absorbed with the minor things. It's like a, he's doing it all the time, over and over. And here he is again going, hey guys, the world's going to hell in a handbasket and you're focused on food. You're focused on the wrong things. You're like, what is that in our, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, just, I could, I, I don't know. You, 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 you may email me, but mass, no mass, vax, no vax. I do this, I do that, birthing techniques, this, whatever it is, your politics, your thing, your this, whatever it is. We get so tribal in all our little stuff. Even some of the things that you could be convicted about even in terms of your own parenting styles or your own health styles or your own food styles or your own cultural expressions of all these different things that you can overly identify with the wrong things. You can make things that are amoral overly moral. And Paul's like, the food, the meat, if you've got a faith enough to eat the meat, the meat is not the big deal. Use your own conscience, use your own conviction. But he gives the centralizing verse here. He says, God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. What's he saying? That when you get too focused on the minors and you lose sight of the majors, you lose your influence with the people around you. So it's like, how do I approach this? In fact, let me give you another verse in the section of Romans 14. You might wanna go on your own and just read the whole chapter because the whole chapter is just convicting. But it says this, so then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Some of us, what we get real challenged with is they're getting away with that. You ever got the getting away with that thing? I can't believe that. No one's getting away with anything. No one. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, everyone will give an account to God. Every person will. He says, so this, so therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Now some people get confused with that word judgment. You know what it's not saying? It's not saying that when you become a follower of Christ, you lose the ability to discern or judge right from wrong. 
That's not what the Bible's saying. He's saying you're passing judgment, meaning you're overly criticizing someone in an area that's not moral. And you're now becoming critical and hypercritical and overly critical of something that is not the main thing. And so stop passing that judgment onto one another. Instead, make up your mind to not be a stumbling block or an obstacle in a way of a brother or sister. Because he even says, you know what? You may have the conscience and the faith to eat the meat. You may have the conscience and the faith to not observe the holiday. But you know what? Even sometimes you might even say, I'm going to think about my brother or sister and even something I have faith for. I'm not going to allow my freedom to be an opportunity for the flesh. And I might even actually prefer them a little bit if it's not a moral thing that I'm compromising. And so you say, why are you telling us this? Well, I want you to be able to deal as the world begins to shake, begins to have cultural challenge. How, how do we really face that? Well, let me give you a couple of ways. Number one, God gives us a healthy way as followers of Christ to interact with culture. That's really what Paul is doing here. What Paul is doing here is saying that if we ourselves can focus and grow in the right things, then we ourselves possess the equipping that we need to face a culture that has darkness. I just wanna encourage you young families, your kids can be equipped to walk in a culture that is darker, but we gotta focus on the right stuff. We gotta focus in the right areas. We gotta let what Paul's saying sink in. It's, it's convicting to me at times. I can get off, I can get focused on the wrong thing, I can think about the wrong thing. Like let those words so come into our hearts and our spirits to say, okay, Lord, keep us calibrated on those three areas. I'm gonna talk about the three areas in, in very practical ways in just a moment. Can I give you one just thought that's been helpful to me and as I watched a lot of people just so get off track over the last few years, and I'm always a pastor who observes, and now we're parenting in non-conflict moment. And I'm watching and I'm thinking, and I, and I think, you know, it's not fair if I know Romans 14, if I understand even this principle I'm about to give you, but I don't give it to you. So at every campus and online, I wanna give you just a little thought. It's not scripture, but it's a way to kind of look at scripture and it's a, it's a Moravian motto. I give it in 101 when people become part of our church because I tell people if you're coming to our church, we're gonna try to keep the main thing the main thing. And so I use this as a tool. It was also a tool that was used in the 17th century when there was a reformation happening in the church and everyday people were now starting to get Bibles and there was training and there was equipping. And, and here's how it goes. We have to have unity in the essentials. I wanna be very clear. When Paul's saying don't pass judgment, he's not saying, oh, allow anything in your home. Allow anything to be truth. You, so so the, the fact is, if everything's true, then nothing is true. So there are truths, there are moral absolutes that are very important, but we have to have unity in the essentials. By the late 300s, the church had identified these are the essentials. These are the essentials of the faith. Jesus Christ, let me give you one today that is, that is pushed on today. Jesus Christ said of himself, John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It sounds so loving to say, we're just all on different paths headed to the same God. You can say that, but you can't say that and be in line with Jesus. Because Jesus said, this is the way. The Bible is the word of God. The truths that are given from scripture. 
unity in the essentials. So we as a church, we have to walk together in unity of the essentials. But there's liberty in the non-essentials. Here's a liberty in the non-essentials. Did you know the Bible scripture, it has narratives and stories in it? It has wisdom literature in it. Did you know the Bible has wisdom literature where it's like, this would be unwise. Let me give you one. Did you know there are people that have personal conviction to never have debt? There are people that say, I believe you should never have debt. I mean, and, and, and again, I think that's a great personal conviction. That's great. You're gonna, it's gonna be great. Young people, when you get to college, the first thing you're gonna get is you're gonna get a bunch of credit card companies that are gonna send you applications to get money, and it's only gonna cost you like 20% interest, okay? Just call me. I'll loan it to you for 20% interest. Are y'all with me? And then what'll happen is a snowball effect and you in college could get yourself in credit card debt and you could end up having financial challenges before you ever get started by trying to have stuff that it took your parents 30 years to get, you think you have to have now. So be careful with debt. And the Bible actually says, the person that is in debt is slave to the lender in, in Proverbs. And it tells you to be wise about it. But, but let me just say this. There are people that could make that a moral truth to never have debt. Did you know you need to be wise with it according to scripture, but it's not an imperative command. It's not an imperative command. Where the Bible gets strong on imperative commands, it's very clear. And so we have to have liberty in the non-essentials. Don't make your personal convictions about health. Don't make your personal convictions about something that the Bible doesn't get imperative and shout about and marginalize yourself by thinking everybody else has to have your personal conviction. There are liberty in the non-essentials, but here's the most important point, that we have love in all of it. Now, some people think love is agreeing with everything. No, the Bible actually says we speak truth in love. Love for all. Can I say something to every person listening to me? If you consider yourself a follower of Christ, we've lost the ability to disagree in a civil way in our culture, but we as Christians should lead the way to hold on to the essentials, hold on to the truth. Don't compromise one single thing that the Bible says is true, but we should be kind. We should be kind. We should be loving in our approach. We should, we should not treat other people in disrespectful ways just because someone else is being disrespectful towards us. We should not lead the discussion online of being combative and obnoxious, especially if it's not a non-essential, but even more importantly, the demeanor of a follower of Christ should be that we speak the truth and we share the truth and we interact with the culture in a loving way. Why? It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. If you've pastored longer than 10 minutes, you can realize that you can be talking about all the right things and saying it the wrong way and get turned off. People don't care what you know till they know how much you care. So we should be loving people. Now you say, okay, Jeff, this measurement thing that Paul gives, how do we calibrate around that? Well, let me talk about it for a second. We experience this through this righteousness. I, I wanna tell you today that, that, that righteousness is, is God's desire for us, that, that, that we're not talking about a world where we make what's right wrong and what's wrong right and, and somehow change what is right, but the word righteousness to be in right standing with God 
is not where most people think. They think you just need to do the right things and here are the right things, but Jesus came and made a different way. He came, and here's a theological term, imputed righteousness. It's his righteousness. See, we can't, young people, I wanna encourage you, we gave you principles this week weekend that, that help you. And if you're watching at a campus, we gave you principles, but here's the thing. You'll never be able to live just principles, even if they are true principles. It's why, like I love the message from last week, where we talk about being born again, where, where what happens is you have a transformative encounter with Jesus. Religions have all kinds of principles. Jesus didn't come to bring a religion. Jesus came to give his very life to take your robe of unrighteousness and trade that with his righteousness. You become righteous in Jesus Christ. Yes, you become something different. I believe this for you young people, that you could actually desire the things of God. Desire what God wants, desire it. Why? Because he changes your want to's. It's an imputed, Jesus became sin for us so that we can become, see the exchange? We can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I heard about a lady where there was a banking error. She had $150 in her account and there was a banking error and she woke up the next morning in her account, a major bank, $88 billion in her account. She went from 150 to 88 billion. You're like, what would I do if I had that happen? I'd probably have to call them up and say, you guys left 84 billion in my account. It'd be just, if y'all could go ahead and correct that. Uh, that wouldn't be righteous. That wouldn't be righteous. But think about it for a moment, more than 88 billion, that's what happens through the person of Jesus Christ, that he exchanges his righteousness. And so it's not just that these are the right things, I now have been made right with the God who gives me the power to live the right things. It's even how you approach righteousness. We get so caught up in externals, external things. It's all about the heart. It's about the internals. Here's the next one, peace. Peace. He says, why do you, have, why do you say peace? Did you know the Bible even shows us that God can so be present in your life, you can so be tied to a higher kingdom that even your enemies are drawn to what you have. Did you know we can have principles, righteousness? Man, I think we could use a dose of that old school righteousness, sanctification, holiness, things, standards, even because I can, I choose not to. And, and that's amazing, but you know what? With being so, you very seldom see these in combination righteousness and holiness and God's standards also combined with peace. Jesus in John 1, the Bible says he was full of grace, full of mercy and truth. I, I'm, I've always been just blown away by that passage because I tend to be truth, 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 truth. And then you can get over here, mercy, 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 mercy. It's like, Jesus, just let you live through me so much that I know how to prioritize both in my life. Did you know if you show up at work and the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket and it's crazy and your boss is this and there's all these things, but even though you stand for righteousness, but you walk in peace, people will go, what do you have? What do you have? I wanna know you. I wanna know about what's happening in your life because peace is so, there's so much lack of it, but it's a gift. You don't just say, I'm gonna be peaceful, I'm gonna be peaceful, I'm gonna be peaceful. Peace is a gift that comes from God. My grandmother, she used to say this, Jeff, 
don't let them get your goat. Anybody ever heard that? Maybe I just grew up in a country. You're just letting your sister get your goat. Quit letting them get, I thought that was just a country term, you know, don't let them get your goat. Did a little research this week, you know where it comes from? That actually when there was a racehorse preparing for a big race, they put a goat in there with the racehorse and it would calm because he had him a little goat buddy and it would keep the horse calm. And when the opponents wanted to sabotage the racehorse's ability to race, they would go and take the racehorse goat and the, the racehorse would be full of anxiety. It's a great concept, man. You learned something in church today. Don't let them get your goat. You got a race to run. You're gonna get all anxious and worried about the wrong stuff and miss the real prize. Here's the third thing, joy. Joy impacts the quality of our everyday lives. It's a sign of the kingdom. Of course we are convicted. Of course we are convinced. Of course we are righteous. Of course we have peace. But let me tell you, the enemy, you know, you know, the enemy, when he gets you focused on food, his tool is to rob your joy. Joy is attractive. I try to take time with my team. Sometimes we have stuff to do. We just take time to laugh. Quit taking yourself so serious. There's a lost world out there. They are broken. They are hurting. They are depressed. They are discouraged. And when we are viewed as Christians, as angry people, I'll take less of that. I've always just been discouraged by that. Why in every movie, the Christians are, de- are, are depicted as the mean people, the, the, the uh, uh, people. Just the, the, the world didn't give us our peace. The world didn't give us our joy. So they can't take it away. They can't take it away. Be full of life. Be full of joy. Don't take yourself so serious. And yes, have righteousness that comes from Jesus. And yes, have peace in your life. But be a life-giving person because hurting people want to be around a life-giving person when the world is shaking. I'm sorry. Uh, yes. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't agree with that. I can't. You already know I don't agree with that. I can't agree with that if it violates the word of God. But you know what? I can love you. I can be filled with peace. I can be filled with joy. I have to hold on to my righteous standard, but I don't have to be viewed as... <laughs> do you know what a lot of your people at work that are not followers of Christ are expecting you to do? Be like that. They'll be amazed when you have peace. They'll be amazed when you have joy. And they'll say, hey, what is it that you have... I'm going to close and pray for you. But I thought I'd bring it full circle. You're wondering, what happened in Rome? You know what happened in Rome? Is in the middle of those moments there, as Paul was teaching them, there were roads being built. There was a peace, even though there was a military super, there was a peace that was allowing the spread and potential spread of the gospel. In around 300, the, the leader of that time had a vision and got saved, and then Christianity exploded all over the world. You say, why are you telling us that, Pastor? I want you to know this, that for centuries, since Jesus walked the earth, there have been people who major on the minors and get marginalized. There are people that get in a wrong tribal group. They get focused on the wrong stuff and miss the kingdom. But there's always been, no matter what the persecution, no matter what the problem, no matter how crazy the world gets, a kingdom group of people who say, we're gonna keep the main thing the main thing. We're gonna keep having righteousness, peace, and joy. There's always been that group. 
in any circumstance or situation that's impacting the world for Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet. I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet. And I want you just to bow your heads with me. Every single person, every location, every, every place, online, wherever you're at, just bow your heads. Because I believe this message, it's, it's as much for me as it is for you. We all can get distracted. We all can get off course. But I, I just want, first of all, to pray for one person maybe who says, I, I want the righteousness of God, but I just thought it was about rules and just about church and about doing the right thing. Well, you can receive Jesus' righteousness today. You say, how do I do that, pastor? Just simply say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my whole life. I know you died for me. You rose from the dead. You love me. He loves you right where you are. He loves you just in the situation you're in, and he will come, and he won't just come and bring you a religion. He'll transform your life. If you'll allow him in, he'll change everything on the inside of you. You can just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender. I surrender right where you are. He sees you. He hears your prayer. Jesus, I surrender all to you. Jesus, those of us that know you, Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your, your righteousness in our lives. We, we thank you today, Lord, that we can be set apart people. That, Lord, we can walk in your plans and walk in your ways and I pray for these young people, Lord, that they don't just have righteous principles, but they have your righteousness. They have your righteousness in their heart, Lord, that's given to them. Second of all, Lord, I pray for peace. One person that's anxious, one person that's struggling right now, just say, I've lost my peace. I'm gonna tell you, you can watch the news a lot and lose your peace. You can watch your feed too much and lose your peace. You can let the enemy tell you that there's no hope and lose your peace, but there's a higher kingdom that cannot be shaken. Lord, we tie ourselves to your kingdom. We say, let your kingdom come. Lord, we tie ourselves, and that brings us peace that you're on your throne, that you're in charge. And Lord, I pray today for discouraged people, for, for people battling situations. Lord, we say, pray, give us your joy today. Let us rejoice in you. Let us today say, Lord, that we were able to come to your house. We were able to enter in, hear your word. Your word has changed our hearts, Lord. We have joy on the inside of us today. Joy overflowing in our lives. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, let it be a prayer of all of us, Lord. Let us be unified around the principles of your kingdom and the person who sits on the throne. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.